You're listening to the World Football Program with all the latest updates from both local and international football. Welcome to the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM, a absolutely beautiful Saturday morning for the first time since I can remember in the last, I don't know how many months. I'm going to get out of here and there's going to be sunshine. Welcome everyone. Dave, Vince, thanks for joining us in the Good studio. Good morning, Bennett. Good morning, Vince. Listeners, partners, sponsors, everybody, thanks for listening in. Appreciate everyone's support, members, people who tune in every week. Gate and Fence Hardware WA, Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron and Futsal WA and everybody else who gives us ears like Perth Glory and Football West people to chat to. Today we'll be chatting to a range of people outside in the sunshine, one hopes, Sharif Andraus, Football West Chair, who is at the Walking Football Festival. It's over the whole weekend in Florida, men's today, women's tomorrow. Isla McDonald, a young female referee about her journey. Neil Bennett from Northern Redbacks, growing pains, a lot of pains there. And Derek Pollock, our European and English football expert, he's going to chat to us about what's happening at Newcastle. Maybe if Ronaldo's fee was well spent for a couple of goals. I don't know. I think, I think the answer's no to that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. And anything else we can fit in in the next two hours, uh, Dave? I feel like I need to say uh, congratulations to you, part of the Mum FC fabric. So I think that congratulations for everything that Mum FC have achieved is thanks uh, for joining us in, in the show and congratulations to you. Well, it's been an absolutely fantastic year for the club and uh, for us to get promotion up into Division 1 is uh, something we've been trying hard for for quite a while. I eventually made it and uh, absolutely fantastic. Almost really. 10 years, Dave. Yeah, but, uh, you know, in my time... I didn't think that the club itself was ready to go uh, up in Division 1 and, and 
into the realms of the hierarchy of football. Uh, we needed time to get the, the, the th- just get the nuts and bolts together and prepare for everything. And I think now is the time. And Michael's pushing on. He's doing a br- an absolutely brilliant job. Yep, Michael yeah. Ianello, the young president. Yep. Got a lot on his plate. I think every president of every club has a lot on their plate. It's not an enviable place to be. And uh, Vince Matassa joins us in the studio. First time ever have been on the uh, end of a phone line before. But uh, what's happening in your football world, Vince? Well, you'd think that coming to the end of the season, it's time to relax. But of course, as, as we all know, there's so much more going on. And I was down in Bunbury a couple of weeks ago with the big junior tournament that's been going, well, 30, 40 years. I think I remember playing in that as a, a 12-year-old. So that was uh, great to see, a really good atmosphere down there, I think ranging from under-11s up to under-16s, clubs from all over the metro area, and of course Mandra and Bunbury represented, and uh, some really good results for Melville, and of course some of the other clubs as well, but a, but a good weekend. So that moves into, of course, most of these NPL clubs are doing trials for their youth for next year as well. So mm. it hasn't stopped yet, but I'm sure by Christmas I think we might be winding up. <laughs> I don't know about that, actually. When we talk to Sharif, I'm pretty sure he's going to say what break when... It's just a matter of, I think they'll roster staff through Football West for 12 months now to concentrate on different programs. And I think that's what clubs probably do too. Like, um, I know with coaching in the, in the junior space, I finish my season and then trials, it's a different team that takes over there. And then there might be, I don't know, five or side or something that goes over summer. And mm. hopefully the same people don't do the same things because I just simply yeah. burn out. I think the kids yeah. will probably start getting more injuries and the parents will have to say no. And the organisers will just go, I just can't fit anything more in and... You just have to space it out, and that's how it goes, really. Yeah. Well, sorry. Um, uh, Mark Jones had, had a week off. Well, a week. Just a week. So, so, <laughs> so at home, and then it was into the trials again, yep. and, you know, it just goes on and on and on. Yep. Plus plus the fact to do the, the school holiday clinics, and it hits at that time, you know. Yep. And it just never stops. And, yes, today we are Mum FC-centric with Dave, former president. And what was your role this year at the club? What's your formal title, Dave? Ambassador, um, maybe? Manager well, uh, yeah, that was talked about. Uh, it sounds better than mascot, I think. Mascot. <laughs> 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 what? Mascot? No. <laughs> I was actually the team manager for the women's NPL, and I stepped in to help Jonesy during the, the night series. And uh, You didn't said, step out again until the end of the season, did you? I never you? got out until no. the end of the season, yeah. <laughs> But it's good fun. It's great to be involved. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, some of the crowds up at, uh, at Mum nowadays is just amazing. You know, some of the games we get yep. for the women and and for the men, yep. you know. And it's not just about the club bringing their fans and their crowd. It's providing an environment where the other clubs bring their fans yeah, as absolutely. well and the crowd, family, etc. It's good. Yeah. During that playoffs, you know, you like to playing against Gosnells, they're always... <laughs> <laughs> noisy and there's a lot of them, you know. But we matched them this year for first time. For know. noisiness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yeah. And what about your experience during the year, Vince? Uh, end of season, I get the Bunbury Carnival. I think uh, a lot of us were there. It's a nice way to end <coughs> the season. But during the year, coaching kids. Yeah, I've got uh, three boys playing in the junior levels at the moment, so a little bit of assistant coaching, helping out with the under-fives as well, which was great for my son to, to play this year. It was good and coach him, so that was very enjoyable. The, um, I think that the, the, vibe, the vibrancy of the, the football around Perth is what struck me a little bit. We talked about the season, obviously, that's always been busy, but you know, in Bunbury Cup, you've got five-a-side at futsal, you've got this walking football, the Asian Cup we'll talk about a little bit later. So many of these competitions happening, there is football all year round, and it's not just the same faces you see who might play you know, during the season. There's new, new communities, new faces. It's, it's really vibrant, and it's, you know, having been away from Perth for so long, coming back, it's really struck me just 
how much football is going on, that it, you know, it's thriving in those community levels. Of course, you know, there's always issues facing football, but it's really, it's been really good to see. Hard to avoid, perhaps? Hold up those hands. Let me see. Come on. <laughs> I, there was something on one yeah, of those yeah, fingers. Yeah, I, I tried, to, tried to make a comeback over the last couple of years, after about 15 years, so I cop, copped a few injuries this year. It's, it's been enjoyable. I mean, the, I, hadn't, I hadn't seen much of the Masters football scene, so that's what I obviously qualify for that quite easily at the moment. And um, that's been really good to see as well. Some, some really good, uh, in the 35, some really good players who probably should be playing in the State League still, but uh, they've given us a bit of a... Licking a couple of times this year, but you know, I think just the, the Melville have got three teams in the Masters over 45s. Uh, try and make a good uh, afternoon of it every every time there's a match there on the Sundays where they put on some food for the opposing team. So, really impressed. And obviously, the northern suburbs have got you know so many good level teams up there with the guys who keep playing well into their 40s and 50s. So, I've as I said, you know, just that the level of commitment to football moving on within the community has been really impressive, and it you know fills me with obviously a lot of joy because football's been a big part of my life. And yeah. uh, on on that, in the community, uh, Channel 10 have got their new advert that's landed this week. Yeah. And I saw it for the first time. I was watching something this morning before I left home and I saw it. I'd seen it on YouTube because I splashed around all the social media. But uh, it's good. I like the ad. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. And a, a big and chance for football this year with, uh, with a mainstream channel, not just obviously showing the games, but it's their commitment to bringing football personalities into their regular programming. Yeah. I think we had Archie Thompson on a cooking show. Uh, there'll be uh, some A-League footballers hosting quizzes and things like that, rather than it just being the AFL and the yep. rugby. Yeah. It's the first time we've ever had that from one of the mainstream channels. I mean, it's not, it's, you know, it's no guarantee, but I think... We've talked about this being a big chance for football to become a little bit more... Some of the personalities becoming more mainstream this year within within uh, Australia, and some of them will be Perth Glory players as well. So I think it's going to be quite exciting. Yeah. We'll go to a break, but we'll come back and chat more about that because we'll bring <coughs> Sharif into the conversation. This is Penn, Vince and Dave on the World Football Programme. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. Stay tuned. 107.9 FM, your local station. West Coast Futsal Association was established to develop and promote the game of futsal. With a vibrant new look and re-imaging, we are now Futsal WA. With a dedication to capture the fast growth of the sport to all levels, Futsal WA is Futsal in Western Australia. Futsal WA provides boundless opportunities to play with grassroots and junior leagues, pathways to academies, and elite club competitions and representative futsal that can help you follow a dream of professional futsal in Europe or Asia. With four venues across Perth, as an individual or as a group of mates who want to play, there's a junior, men's, women's or mixed competition that will suit you. Contact us to get involved in futsal, an action-packed sport and the fastest growing sport in Australia. Contact us at Futsal WA on 0432 745 140 via email at info at or via our website www.futsalwa.org.au Gate and Fence Hardware WA is your hardware shop online. Find all the parts you need to fix make and secure your gates and fences friendly staff and family offer advice to help your project along or order in your special part gate and fence hardware wa 
Station sponsor. For football's sake. For the sake of our registered players. There's 37,000 of them. For the sake of the game. For the sake of the dozens of high achievers who are already flying the WA flag in the world's best football leagues. For the sake of our visitors from Asia and beyond whose cultures are woven through football. For the sake of Perth Glory, the state's A-League team, which aims to inspire the next generation. For the sake of the mums and the dads, the fans, the followers and the football faithful who are steeped in the most popular sport on the planet. Football needs a home. Football deserves a home. Every family needs a home. For football's sake. I think we could almost say, are we there yet after that? And that was made long before the State Football Centre was actually up and running. And we'll say good morning to the Football West Chair. You can tell us an update on the State Football Centre, Sharif Andraus. Good morning. Good morning, Penny. Great to be with you. It's a bit uh, environmentally soccer conscious there. What are you up to? So at the moment I'm at the uh, Walking Football Festival in Florida. There's about 100 or so people playing and um just played two games myself and I'm sitting off with my team just conceded a goal, unfortunately. <laughs> so I'll blame you guys for me off at the time. But there's, there's a lot of people around playing, yeah. I'm impressed you've got time amongst all the other football stuff to play football. Good job. <laughs> no, it's great. I even hear you're coming down tomorrow. There's a women's festival tomorrow and you're playing, Penny. Oh, I am, yeah. I have to slip, slop and slap. I hear you're allowed to play with hats in this competition, which I rather like because it's out in the sun 100%. <laughs> You are. It's quite gentrified because because uh, you can't so it's head height, so you can wear hats if you want. No problem. Yeah. Just can't run. That's the important thing. Yeah, I'm going to have a tough time with that bit. I just know it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I've, already, I've already been pulled up twice this morning, so I know, I know what it's like. <laughs> um, do do give us an update on where the state football centre is at. Yeah, sure. If you go past the uh, the ground where it's at, Mariana Park, you'll see that all the groundwork's been done. It's quite quite a large site. It's it's all dirt at the moment. It's really starting to come come together, which is fantastic. So the tenders were put out um, a few weeks ago for the main building works, and they, as far as I know, the they tender permission was closed yesterday. And so in the next week or so, or a couple of weeks, they'll be selecting who's doing the construction with a view to building starting pretty soon. And then phase one of the state football centre being completed early in 2023, and plenty of time for the women's World Cup. So it's, it's a really exciting time. There's lots happening on, on that front. Yeah, we, we do want to hear that in time for 2023 is excellent. Um, so we hear this week that uh, James Curtis, Football West CEO, is outgoing. I, I would think that the State Football Centre was probably one of the targets at the top of his list that he had to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been, it's been the top of the Football West list for at least a, at least a decade or so. And certainly one of the things that was on his list of things to do was to bring that to fruition. And I know that um, that's we've got to the point now where it's really on, on target, and it's something that that's, uh, we're going to see happening in reality now, which is fantastic. Yep, absolutely. We'll have to make a new promo that I play on the radio when I talk to Football West uh, guests. That's not for football's sake and get going. It's a well, we're really getting there kind of ad. So might have to get your boys in the back room together, Sharif, and put a promo together about that. I like the idea. I like the idea. We'll be moving into a, a new phase of football. It's one, one of the things that's in our sport. Some things still stay the same, but some things change a lot. And hopefully, I think things are getting better all the time. Mm. Sport's growing. Sport's getting stronger. And the infrastructure's getting stronger. That's one of the biggest issues we do have. Is the popularity of the sport is fantastic, but the lack of infrastructure is one of the, one of the big issues that we have. 
Absolutely. And with the announcement of the Women's World Cup in or being awarded to Australia and New Zealand, a, a flurry of politicians and uh, grants, etc., um, were issued and um, shared around. And we know that in West Australia there's been clubs that have been awarded grants to upgrade their facilities. Um, I suspect that over the next, well, 18 months, two years until the Women's World Cup comes, there'll be a lot of infrastructure upgrades and buildings and, you know, hopefully that brings us post-Women's World Cup to a better place than we are now. Yeah, absolutely right. Now, w w one thing I will say is that the, both the federal government, particularly the state government, have been very supportive and they've given quite a few grants, as, as you mentioned, to quite a few clubs specifically for women's football infrastructure, but it really is all pervasive right right through the sport. Mm. But I think one of the important things to, to, for us to realise is, is the Women's World Cup isn't an end, it's just the start. It's a catalyst for growth uh, for, for the long term. And I think what we want to use use the Women's World Cup for is a springboard to really grow the sport and a catapult, catapult into the future. And so that this shouldn't be seen as the end in terms of funding for infrastructure, just, just the start, what we can do if we're given the money. I like that. Uh, Sharif, it's Vince here. I, I just... Uh, you, G'day, Sharif. The, you're talking a little bit about the good relationship with the state government and the federal. How, how have you found the corporate world at the moment for their support for football, perhaps compared to a few years ago? Are we moving in the right direction or is it still a, a tough sell at times? Yeah, br brilliant, brilliant question, Vince. Brilliant question. I was going to come on to that. I think we've been through a phase where um, a lot of our focus has been on government and, and, and James Curtis is particularly skilled at, at the government relations, and that's, um, and that's been really important in terms of making the, the State Football Centre come to fruition, in terms of getting government funding for things. Um, and, and the government have been great, things like Healthway and Belt Up and the, those sort of campaigns. And in terms of winning the World Cup and then having games played here in, 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 in Perth as well, that government, um, government relationship has been, been huge. So, um, but, moving, but, but in terms of the corporate world, it's been a hard sell for a little while. Um, if you look now at the moment around Perth in particular and up Western Australia, there's quite a lot of money in the corporate space, but, but what, what, we're, what the corporate are looking for is very much in the ESG space, the environmental, social and governance space, that ESG space. So they want to spend their money not on sponsorship for branding, they want to spend their money on sponsorship and partnerships for benefit of society and uh, to, do, to be seen to be doing, doing good. Which is something that we have to we've had to sort of change our, our view a little bit of football west. That's part of the reason why we've separated out all the social activities we're doing and set up a separate charity, which is the Football Future Football Foundation. And that's one where, since that's been uh, instituted in the last few months, we started talking to corporates and we've started to get a lot more interest. The corporate we have to really sell to them what they want and what they really want to be able to help society. And, and the foundation is going to be the catalyst to do that. Mm. I think that. There will be some big shoes to fill for the next CEO that comes in for Football West because, uh, like you, you've just talked about in that conversation, that um, there's been a change. There's been some good infrastructures, foundations, programs. I mean, uh, you know, we've been talking uh, off air today about the Walking Football Asian Cup and lots of different programs that Football West now have in place for cultural diversity. We're really reaching out into different areas of football and, and incorporating a lot of people into our game that we haven't before. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I think that's a real opportunity. I mean, we, we always talk about football being the world game, and that's what we talk about. Uh, but it is, it is the most popular sport around. It is the most played sport around. And, if, and it's a very simple game at, at, at its essence. It's one that can be played in many different forms. And so it's a very versatile one. If you want to look at things like beach football, street football, walking football, there's so many different types of football. You know, out, out, in, out in the bush, wherever you play, it's just you know, a couple of jumpers and a, and a round ball and you can play. 
and to be able to use football in its many ways is something that we that we need to need to be able to do. Able to do. Yep. So, post James Curtis, what is there left to do? Like, what are the targets oh. still left for Football West? Yeah, yeah. Whenever you think you've done it, that that then you, that's the most dangerous place to be. Cooper soon be, be quite dangerous. Look, James. Um, James is on a fixed term contract, and um, we were talk- I've been talking to James for a while. I'd loved him to stay on. It would have been fantastic. But I think that. Um, he, he's got a position, position now where he wants to do something different, and I've got to respect him for that. Five years as a CEO is, is a good stint in, in, any, in any corporate world or any, any, any business. And, um, and I think that the main focus that he was looking at was in terms of developing strategy to a point, developing the, you know, doing the government relations and build, helping the, the State Football Centre and the Women's World Cup come to fruition and, 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 and getting the foundation up. So I think he's probably got to the point where he wants to do something different and can do. Now for us, the new role coming in. Um, it's, a re- it's a really important po- time for us. I think the next appointment is a really important, important appointment. Um, I don't know if any of your listeners have seen it yet, but yesterday the advert was put up on Seek, LinkedIn. I tweeted it out. It's, it's out and about, the advert for it, and it's the role. And um, it's open until, for the next two or three weeks. The next person is going to be a person who has to be, has to have really good people leadership skills, someone who's going to be taking over a very diverse business, actually, uh, and more complicated than many corporates, it's going to have a state football centre, which should be used as a, as a venue for events, etc. It's going to have a charity. It's going to have its core competencies around running football competitions. It's going to be government advocacy. It's got to deal with uh, FIFA, AFC, Football Australia. It's got to do government lobbying. It's actually a really, really multidisciplinary task with a team of people that are quite different people. Has to have a strategic role. And, and, and the last point, which is the book we've touched on before, has to have someone that can, is a real good link into business and really look at business for, for funding and partnerships and understand what business wants to support, support football. So it's a really challenging role, but also I think a really attractive one. We're going to get lots of really good applicants for this one. I'm really quite excited to see what we get. Yeah, I did want to just put in there too that I was listening to the six PR interviews was this week that um, you linked onto your website with uh, the two gold medal winners for NPL and uh, I do listen into 6PR and hear the chat about football which is a great partnership because it's uh, an AM station but it's um, yeah it's it's on free-to-air radio and just those kind of things and the advert that the um, can't think of the APL, I think it is, is put out on Channel 10. Yep. Those kind of things yep. get out into the general football population. I think it's great work. Yeah, no, I, lo- I love the APL. That was fantastic. I saw it, saw it the other day. It's brilliant, isn't it? And the 6PR relationship works really well for us. As I said, it's free to wear, so it's making it more accessible and more accessible to different people. I think sometimes we can just keep talking to the people we already know, people who are already inside the tent. But what you want to do is make sure people outside the tent want to come, come and play. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So um, it's been a, a pretty busy last month or so. You must have had your share of uh, champagne and all the awards celebrations. Um, how have they been received? Because it's rather different to last year where we're kind of in a COVID year and everything was a bit different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, last year we didn't, we're unfortunately unlucky enough not to have any real celebrations, which is, which means that when you do have the chance to do them, you really do appreciate them even better. One thing we've done this year is, is, is really focus on horses to courses. So what's the right sort of event for the right sort of audience? So, for example, we did the State League. We did the State League um, presentations and trophies at half-time of the State League final at Doring Gardens. So a lot of people were there, and that worked really well. 
we did the MPL WA Awards in a slightly different way, which was formal but not not sit down dinner formal, formal presentations with a red carpet and plenty of um, opportunity to network afterwards, and that actually went very well, and lots of good feedback about how, how well that one went. So um, that 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 was that was a good one. But yes, it's, it's, it's award season is always a busy time for us. Um, Sharif, Dave Kindness here. I thought that the new system is better than the, you know, the three hundred dollar uh, deal down at the Crown. It's uh, and that was and that wasn't just because Melville took most of the trophies, was it? Kevin, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks for that, uh, Sharif. That's good. No, I thought the system was was pretty good. Uh, certainly, you learned something from the one we had in Dorian Gardens for for the state league, and uh, I thought it was. Easier, better, done, dusted, all over in a couple of hours. It was pretty, pretty good. Yeah, no, I thought, I thought they were good. And the one, one I didn't get to because I was watching was a holiday at the time was um was the referees one, which is adoring guys too. It's always a really good night, the referees night, because they're all on the same team and they all support each other. It's, it's a great event, the referee awards night too. So there's lots of different ones around. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I just realised who uh, Mari was. I- I've actually got a Mari playing in my walking football team tomorrow, but it's not that Mari. It's Mari Glover Mari. So say hi from me. I will do that. Yeah. Mari. Penny says hi. There you go. <laughs> Good one. Thanks for that. All right. So um, I think you should uh, go back to your team, uh, enjoy yourself in yep. this beautiful sunshine, and I really do appreciate taking time out to have a talk with us. Thanks very much. Thank you. See you guys. Good Bye. On you. See ya. See you, Sharif. That was Sharif Andraus, the Football West chair, who's uh, yeah, spearheading the hunt for a new CEO of Football West, which is a big job. I think that James has had a huge portfolio to of benchmarks, and I think he's done pretty well. What do you reckon, Vince? Yeah, I mean, you're always going to get your critics, I think, um, in terms of people wanting something a little bit different. But we heard Sharif talk about the, the variety of the role there. It's yes. not just about the you know the state itself and looking at the state leagues and the, the, the amateurs and so on. You're looking over east as well, and you've got the A-League, the relationship with all the A-League clubs, which is going to be different this year now that the A-Leagues control that league. Uh, you've got James Johnson at FFA, or FA now, really trying to bring the states together. It's a, there's a lot going on, the Women's World Cup, so it's a, it's a very big role. Uh, yes, I'm sure Football West would love to have another 10 people on their books in terms of staff to help with that, so it is a challenge for them. But, I, you know, they're certainly trying to go in the right direction. Whenever you speak to them, you know that they have people who are trying to do the right thing. And so, you know, they're not, we're not going to agree with all their decisions, but they're, they're certainly trying to do the right thing for football, for the young people in, in Western Australia. I, th- I think that a lot of the... Um, you said trying to do the right thing, but a lot of the questions or challenges might be around competition-based um, because if you look at the diversity, uh, they have an amazing amount of programs. I know they have contracted staff that don't work full-time in the office that do the summer programs, etc. Um, and then they have uh, competitions and then they have strategic staff. And then, like uh, Sheriff was saying, it's not just about sponsorship, it's about um, a... A corporate brand and how it gets out into the community and the reach and impact that that has now, not just about putting the name out there. So all those things, you're right, have, have changed. And to get a connect and develop a relationship with all those things and get them working is, to me, that's a massive job to do. Yeah, it's absolutely huge. Yeah. And, and if you, you think know, five years, like, before James Curtis was there, think of Football West, and I can't remember who the chair was before Peter James. Hug. Peter Hug. Yep, and where Football West was at that time, and it was about... For me, it was more about changing the competition into NPL status so, mm. and, and all the conversations and restructure around that. And whew, that was that was big. That was yeah. on his plate. And 
that's not been what James Curtis's mandate has been about. It's about all these other things that we've talked about, and that's a big plate. Yeah, huge, huge. Mm. And dealing with government is a big, big thing as well. Absolutely. Just trying to talk to the right person and yep. make sure you get through to them, you know. Yep. So we've got an, uh, a federal election coming up next year, so there's another mm. chance, hopefully, for some, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For yep. some funding. I, and I think, as uh, Sharif talked about there, I've always felt that the corporate world... When, when you look at the numbers of young football players, you know, we've always had the highest participation rate at the junior level. We've never quite managed to convince some of the big corporates to come on board and sponsor a lot of these uh, junior competitions. And you look at some of the other sports, always have had the big, the big corporate names. Sharif kind of hit the nail on the head there now in, the, in, the, in these few years and moving forward. The shareholders of these big companies, they want to be able to point to environmentally friendly or sustainable type programs. And so the challenge is for football is not just to talk about, well, we've got so many numbers. It's actually to find a way to make that work for the corporate in terms of their branding. Um, mm. So it's not just about numbers, which, which has always been to our advantage. So another, another tricky challenge, but, you know, they understand what's needed. So it's a matter of that, that football fund and so on and, and trying to get I, there. I hear yeah. in what you're saying there, one, you should apply for the job. <coughs> and uh, <laughs> um, yeah. two, when I think of uh, loyalty and retention, I think of those things being good for a club and the football in general, and then I think of the wider football environment of why people would put money into things. Well, if you know you're going to have the same numbers come back next year um, and maybe the same people come back next year, then you can re-expose your branding to those same people. So as a corporate sponsor, that's a nice place to land. So if all the clubs and the sport and the administrators can make that environment correct so everyone does want to come back, then that is a nicer place or a more attractive place for a sponsor or a partner to want to be in. And I don't know, I don't know Dave, think, thinking about Mum FC, I know retention generally is actually churn rate, turnover is probably about 30 or 40% in most sports. Yeah. What do you reckon at our club? Any thoughts it's, on that? It, 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 it is pretty high. and But there's, there's a couple of different areas there. People move around in sports and try something else and go off and play rugby or go off and do something else, you know. Uh, but in the more elite areas, uh, the young kids are all thinking that they should be playing thirsty football. And they go off, they leave a club like us who have a very, very good junior MPL setup. And, you know, the, our 18s have been in the top ranks for a number of years, apart from this year. And they go off to pastures new and they, they maybe don't make it and maybe give the game away. And that's the saddest thing about it. Totally, it's kids giving the game away at 17, 18 years old saying, Oh, I didn't get to play for Bayswater or whatever, and they're gone. It'd be interesting to see a breakdown, <coughs> uh, some studies perhaps, of in that mini football age group of like five to nine, where they do the modified football, and then the young age group of when they go into 11 aside, and then the adult age group, and see what the dynamic or structure is if retention is different in each of those groups and where sponsors and branding is aimed at because if I think of Football West branding I could think of Belt Up oh Healthway which part of the, the state government yeah yeah. yeah. so maybe oh, Fruit and Veg 5 and 2 yeah, I think things parents like that. Mm. and their influence on kids mm. or adults decision makers yeah rather than the, the the little ones and so yeah and I'd just be interested to see about those numbers 30-40% to me seems very high and mm. those seem to be the numbers that I can always remember associated with our sport and maybe other sports of of turnover for many, many, many years. And I, I don't know, do you think that's reasonable, Vince? 
It is high, and I think costs are part of it. I mean, economically, COVID's been challenging over the last couple of years, I think, when people make that decision. But the other factor, of course, and it goes back to that wider publicity around football in Australia, is I mean, the same way you can't be what you can't see. Without that more publicity at the, whether it's the national team, whether it's uh, A-League, whether it's kind of adult competition, the junior kids have a great time. But if they also have that senior level, not that they need to aspire to be in the Socceroos or the Matildas necessarily, but at least want to emulate some of their heroes on the field at the age of 12 or 13, even if they're not in the top division, they can imagine their Sam Kerr, they can imagine their, you know, Aaron Moy and so on. So I think that is part of it as well. And, And hopefully with Channel 10 and a little bit more publicity, the Women's World Cup is going to be huge. I mean, we know that. And it's not just about raising the profile, but younger kids can just start dreaming about being whoever they want a lot more. And that perhaps some of the ones who might drift away, if they're kind of having that elation of playing just like their heroes each week, they might stick around a bit longer. It is tough as they get older in school. There's no doubt about it when they've got the challenges. But it's the team bonding, the team spirit. It's And we're not talking about the elite level, but even at the lower levels, it's that team <coughs> bonding and spirit that's probably what keeps people in. And yep. part of that is feeling like you're playing like your heroes. Yeah. So the profile of the sport is also mm. very important. I think so. Yeah. Do you think we're getting there, Dave? It's, it's quite a way to go. Um, I could pick out ten people just from the club and ask who who the striker for Australia is. And a, a lot of them wouldn't know. But yep. if you asked who the striker for, for Liverpool was, you'd know, or Barcelona <laughs> or whoever, they would know that area of it and maybe it's we should be promoting our um, Socceroos or uh, representative teams a lot more it's a difficult one to tell it is and and I think as, as, I mean even if they're emulating you know British footballers and, and the women's super league is going great guns in the UK as well mm. uh, look that, that's good I, I think uh, I'll go back to Bunbury as well one of the things that we've got some friends who live in Bunbury who are cricket cricket fans and they came down to watch a few of the games and I think they were aghast, just taken aback by the sheer numbers of people. Every blade of grass on that <laughs> huge oval was taken up with a game. And it wasn't just, you know, obviously every second game was a girls' game. There were 11-year-olds, there were 14-year-olds. And they're all playing with a smile on their face, particularly the girls. You want to pass a girls' game, and you ha- I had a quick chat a couple of times, asked what the score is, and they, they just were loving it. Mm. And I think that positive vibe, um, the more people get exposed to it from outside the sport, that's what football brings. Mm. Um, any age... Obviously, both genders. It's it's just amazing. Yeah, the enthusiasm with the girls' football is amazing. Actually, yeah, just the technical ability needs to come up a little bit, you know, and because y- y- some of it is very good, some yeah. of it is very 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 talented kids. Oh yeah, I heard, I heard comments from other people, and I, and I just sit and watch games, NPL games this year. Watch my share of men's games as well, and some of the comments were like. The women's NPL is pretty good quality, oh, yeah. and of course it's been streamed as well. And you know, people don't come to the games, but they still see the games, yeah, yeah. so yeah. they can yeah you know, make comparisons and, and comments. And I think that's great. And the quality has been really good this oh, year. Oh yeah, tough competition. Yeah. yeah, we've got to go to break and come back with another guest. So this is Penn, Vince, and Dave on the World Football Program team in the studio this morning. We'll be back talking more football with Isla McDonald. Stay tuned. Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. You think playing like a girl is easy? Let me show you what it takes. Playing like a girl is a hustle. Don't expect to be paid like Messi or Ronaldo. There's money in the women's game, but not much. Be ready to get an extra job. Or two. 
Playing like a girl means you have to be your biggest fan. Because the cameras won't always be focused on you. And if you want to catch their eye, or even get a sponsor, people will tell you to use your looks. They may even tell you to listen to Set Bladder and wear tighter shorts to get a bigger audience. Playing like a girl means that when you get to the World Cup, you're armed to the teeth with nothing but resilience. You're not competing on an equal playing field because your field will make you bleed, burn, and bruise even more. And you take it like a girl. Playing like a girl means having thick skin. You'll be told that your game is boring, that you're not as skilled as the guys, and what you achieve won't be cause for celebration. But you have the satisfaction of knowing that a woman has outscored the likes of Neymar, Benzema, Suarez, and Ronaldinho. And when you play like a girl, you never let your guard down. You keep your eyes on the ball. Because though uncertainty rules your world, it doesn't rule you. Yeah, the odds are great. But since when do you back down from a challenge? You are fierce and prepared. You are ready to outrun the naysayers, the haters, and anyone who told you you're weak. Because you've got what it takes. Hi, my name's Eddie, and I'm the referees manager of Football West. We're looking for new referees. So if you've got what it takes, come on, give it a go. I became a referee to support the game. Come on, give it a go. I became a referee because I enjoy both watching and playing the beautiful game. I became a referee to help build my confidence and to experience the game from a different perspective. I became a referee because I love the beautiful game and I want to make a bit of money. I became a referee to increase my involvement within the game. I became a referee to develop my teamwork and communication skills. I became a referee to go towards my skill for the Duke of Edinburgh. I became a referee to keep my fitness up and to maintain my involvement with youth football after coaching. I became a referee to make some money and have a good time. I became a referee because I wanted to learn how the calls were made. Come on, give it a go. Come on, you should give it a go. Give it a go. Give it a go. Come on, give it a go. Give it a go. Give it a go. Give it a go. Come on, give it a go. Come on, give it a go. Welcome back to the World Football Program on 107.9 FM Radio Fremantle. Myself, Penny Tanner-Hoth. Dave Kindness and Vint Matassa are in the studio chatting everything football we can fit into two hours until 12 o'clock today and then we do it all again following Saturday. We will break for Christmas after the last Saturday in November. We are going to have a break over December and January and no amount of bribery and request is going to make us continue because we need a break too, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Unless, of course, some more presenters step up. If we had a couple more presenters, I'll train you and then you can go through Christmas. So bring it on out there, anybody who's listening. <laughs> Media experience not required, I'll train. On the line at the moment, we've got young Isla McDonald, who's an aspiring young referee. <coughs> Good morning, Isla. 
Morning, Penny. Thank you for joining us. Really do appreciate that on this yeah. lovely day. I hope you're going to get out and enjoy it somehow afterwards and not be on a screen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, give us a little bit of a, a rap sheet of yourself and maybe some football history in there and what's led to you being a referee. Um, yeah, so I've been a referee. Oh, I've been a player of soccer for five years. Um, that's been really good. Yeah, you've been my coach for a lot of the time. Uh, but, yeah, about the refereeing, well, I don't know, I think I just wanted, like, a bit of a change, I guess, from playing. I mean, playing has been really good, but, um, you know, I was just looking to explore the other aspects of football. Um, which included refereeing. So, yeah. Hi, Isla, it's Vince here. Congratulations on, on combining both soccer and refereeing. It's great to hear. I was going to ask you, it would have been a little bit uh, scary doing your first couple of matches, I assume. How, how long did it take for you to feel comfortable refereeing? Was it straight away or did it take quite a long time? Um, yeah, the first few games were um, a bit challenging at some point just to get used to the whole... Um, you know, game of it all. Um, it did take a couple weeks, games to, I guess, get comfortable with refereeing a whole um, match. Um, but, you know, after about four, five games, I felt, you know, definitely a lot better refereeing. And, and what do you find? The, uh, what do you find the hardest thing about it now that you've been doing it for quite a few years? Um, I say the most challenging thing about refereeing would be the pressure, um, like the pressure of having to, you know, make all the correct decisions on the match, and the comments from sidelines, coaches, players. Luckily, I haven't had too much of that, so I've been able to handle it well. Well, that's really good. To, that's really good to know. I mean, all of us <laughs> yeah. assume as a young yeah. referee because we've all seen it without without you know, children playing and so on. Just so much shouting at the ref, um, and and some of it's just yeah. frustration, but others it can be quite personal as well. But you you haven't you haven't had that too much, which is really good to hear. Do you get any training on how to cope with that kind of um, I guess aggression from the spectators? Um. Well, during the course of it, we were taught to, you know, just block out things that aren't relevant to the match or the negative comments from the sideline. So that's, that's what I've been doing. That's very good advice. Mm. Mm. And in, and what, yeah. what kind of, for that, that particular issue, because for all of us, we'd assume that would be one of the hardest things. What, what would you say to other young referees who are just starting out? What's the best way to, it's easy enough to say, I just have to block it out, but how do you, how do you manage to do that? What advice would you give to them? Um... Well, to be honest, during the game, you don't really focus too much on the sidelines, or at least you shouldn't. So just know that, you know, they're all just angry for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a, really, that's a really good way to put it, Isla. I mean, for me, I'd always say they're going to shout at you no matter what. You could get every decision 100% correct, and they're still going to shout at you. Yeah. So it can't, exactly. it's something that you've done. They're going to shout anyway, and once you kind of accept they're just going to shout at me, whether I'm, I'm good or not, then I guess, yeah, it's a really good start to say, look, it's not going to affect me because yeah. they're never going to be happy no matter what I do. Yeah, yeah. Just, just never take it personally, I guess, and just keep doing 
the refereeing, do your job, and that's it. And, and how about your relationship with the players on the field? Do you talk to the players a lot, or do you try not to say too much? Um, there's, there's communication at points where I need to. You know, I'm friendly around them, but I guess most people are more focused on the game, so there's not too much, you know, communication with all of them, unless I'm specifically needing to say something. Or anything like that. Um, Isla, um, it's a fine Scottish sounding name you've got there, Isla <laughs> McDonald. Um, have you ever sent anybody off? <laughs> Jeez. Sorry? Dave asked if you'd oh. ever sent anyone off. Um, no, I haven't, haven't done that yet. So, and you've no, got, you've got the sin bin rule at your disposal, haven't you, as a junior referee? Have you sent anyone to the yeah. sin bin? Uh, no, not this season. No, I haven't. That's good. that's good. Does that mean everyone's been well behaved around you, Isla? Um, yeah, actually, yeah, most people have been really well behaved, which I have been surprised about. Kind of not what I expected. Okay, that, that, is, good. that is good. And what <laughs> age groups have you been referring, Isla? From from what age group uh, up to the oldest kind of level? I. As a referee in the middle, I referee both the girls and boys juniors for under 13s and under 14s. I have done a couple under 15s, which has been hard to move on. But, um, yeah, 13s and 14s mainly, and assistant referee for NPL under 23s and first team. Oh, wonderful. That's pretty good. It's, it's great. And do, yeah. you have, do you have long... Have you thought about you know, long time in the future doing refereeing on and on. I mean, we see in the English Premier League, there's a, there's a female referee as part of the um, Premier League group. I think there was a referee who, who refer, uh, female referee inter, refereed an international game during the Euro qualifying games recently as well. Is that something you've thought about yet? It is very early, I um, Well, at this point, I'm only... Well, I'm only 14, so I haven't thought about it yet, but I don't have an exact idea of what... I'll be or what I'll be doing in the future. So I think I'll just keep keep doing it and see where it all takes me, I guess. Good. Uh, yeah. I'd, li- I'd like to know if your mum and dad come along to every game and su- <coughs> support you and do they manage to the c- contain themselves on the sideline? Yeah, they come with me every game. That Well, that, that's how I actually get to the game because obviously I can't drive myself. <laughs> um, they're, they're my form of transport. Um, I always pay them back with a the coffee. Yep, but very good. And, and do they yeah. do they support you? Are they because sometimes yeah, they so sometimes when like I'll, with Rose and myself, my daughter same age as, as you, when we're in the car going to and from the games, I don't know if this happens to every parent. It's like we talk about the game beforehand, then after we talk about the game and dissect. Does that happen with you and your parents with refereeing? Yeah, of okay. course. Yeah. After the game, on the way home, we're always talking about what, you know, how the game went, what went well, what didn't. Good. So that's been good. Yep. And and do the referee's body provide a mentor or someone that you can call if you need help with any problems and to support you along? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, Dave is been supportive and Simon all that they've been really helpful yeah Dave Collier and Simon yeah. Hicks yeah yeah 
yeah, good. Yeah, that's excellent. And do you get together with the other referees at some point? Because I imagine that you're a part of a uh, same age, there'd be lots of same age kind of young referees. Do you get together with them and talk about some of your problems and support each other? Um, well, actually, I haven't met any other referee my age just yet. They've all been older, surprisingly, which is, yeah. But, um, yeah, always, especially during NPL games, we all get together at the start and we all just talk about, you know, what we're all good with, what needs to be. Um, we all just help each other out before the game. Good. So, so do you think that you've had a successful year and you'll be back again next year refereeing? Um, yeah, I think I'll be doing that. I think, I think the year's been really good so far and next year I'll just continue it, see where it goes. Good. Do, do you have any... Oh, just before you go as well, um, Isla, what would you say to some of the other young kids your age and, and a little bit older who are thinking about taking up refereeing? What, what would, how would you try and convince them to do that? Because we do need more referees. We do. Yeah, we are long referees, so I, I just, it's worth it, 100%. The, it's given me so much confidence as well as a referee, um, which has helped a lot. And I think overall it's been a really great experience and it's definitely worth it. That's really good to hear. Yeah, it is. Excellent. Uh, yeah. I'd like to know, as your former coach, are you ever going to come back and play again? Haven't. I haven't really decided just yet. It is definitely an option, and I could could get back to it sometime in the soon or later future. So, yeah. Yeah, I'll think about it. Yeah, that, yeah, that's okay. There's no pressure at all for me. I, I, I just, uh, just asking the question. And it's fantastic that you're enjoying refereeing. And I have seen a lot of young referees this year. Uh, I've seen a handful of young female referees in the 14 to 18 age yeah. group and a handful of young male referees. In fact, down at Winthrop, we had one young lad uh, who would ride on his bike, so he must live local, ride on his bike to our games, the women's games and the, some of the girls' games. He had uh, orange, big head of hair, um, very recognisable, and he must have refereed four or five games there. And um, I thought he was pretty good. He didn't always make all the correct yeah. decisions, but we always respected that, and no one ever gave him any lip, which I thought was good. Um, so if your experience has been like that, then that, that's great. That's encouraging you to come back again next year because you've had a good experience. Yeah. Yeah, it has been a really good experience. Mm. Thank you very much yeah. for joining us, Isla. I really do appreciate it, and um, I hope you do referee next year and maybe play as well yeah. at some point. Good on you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Penny. You're, you. you're welcome. Enjoy the rest yep. of your weekend, Isla. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. See ya. That was Isla McDonald who played at <coughs> Mum FC and now she's refereeing at the age of 14. This is her first year and she seems to have enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, yeah, it's great to hear a positive message because we see some of the you know aggression in the comments from, from often coaches and parents as well towards these young referees. It's... It's really hard to take, and um, you know, Isla obviously no, knows that's coming and has set herself to just ignore it, which is the best way to do it. And mm. I think the the other thing for young referees listening is, you don't have to, you don't have to get 100 percent of the decisions correct. The players certainly don't get 100 percent of their their um, efforts correct. So, look, if if you make a mistake, that's the way it goes, and explain to the players what you've done. And I think if referees 
say, well, this is what I saw, this is what I made a decision, generally you're ready to move on. I mean, even if it was a mistake because the referees said what they, what they saw and move on. So I think that communication, I talked about the fact that at a young age, you don't necessarily have much talk with the players, but as they grow older, I think referees who do communicate with players explain why they made the decision, yeah. um, generally get a better run um, through in terms of some of the criticism. So, yeah. you know, we've seen some great young referees over the years when I've been watching the junior games, and I hope we get more, and I'll encourage my sons to, to suit up as well in the next years if they can. It's a great way to, uh, to get a bit more involved in football and get a bit of pocket money at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. I do like that she said that they were taught to ignore the uh, conflict and aggression on the sideline and that's really important and my instant thought was as a coach I wish my players could do that mm. uh, still listen to me on the sideline but ignore everything else because some players and it can be parents as well just constantly talking sometimes they're very passionate and that comes across as aggression but it can sway a player and defocus them from enjoying the game and uh, you know just playing as a team yeah but as Vince said if you can talk to them talk to your players and explain why you made such a decision, it does help, and it just calms everything down. Yep. Yeah. I think uh, Matthew Cheeseman springs to mind. Mm. He, I thought he was pretty good like that yeah. as a referee. Um, Vince, did you want to chat about anything else we might have missed in terms of anything that's happening over the weekend? Uh, Dave, you want to add anything into the conversation? It's such a beautiful weekend. There must be lots of football happening out there. We've we'll touched on that walking festival, uh, which has commenced already. Yep. <laughs> Sharif, I wonder how Sharif's team is going now that he's back <laughs> on the field. Uh, that goes all weekend with the women's uh, tomorrow. That's out in Florida there at the Cambridge Bowling Club. And, in fact, there's another uh, walking football competition starting in a couple of weeks, which they're still looking for entry teams, which Football West is sponsoring, uh, 10 weeks from the 13th of November. And it'll be on a Saturday morning at the same club there, the Football Fives. So if you're interested in, in the uh, walking football, there's a competition, yeah, 13th of November, every Saturday morning for 10 weeks. Feel free to enter. Today, there was a brief mention, I think you talked about the Asian Cup. This is the inaugural Asian Cup that Football West are putting on with, with a grant from the government to do with uh, Asian engagement strategy. It's a great idea because they've got over 20 teams who have registered for this Asian Cup down at Langley Park starting... It's 11 o'clock. Great venue on the river. 11 o'clock this morning, all run in one day. There'll be food trucks for all the different countries. I'm wearing my Thailand shirt. You can see that uh, who, where my colours are being nailed, nailed today. But I, I think, as I said, there's a lot of those communities. It's free entry because we've got that sponsorship. It's free entry for these teams. And it's just a great spectacle for football. People walking past will just see bunch of um, adults, women, men, probably some young kids having as well. Fun, colours, having fun, colours, food, a festival. Football, and, that's, yep. and that's what, you know, Clearly, we're talking to the converted here, but the world game brings, and you just don't get that with most other sports. So, I think it's great. So, that's the Asian Cup starting today. Go down and have a look if you're anywhere near Perth, have some lovely food. You'll have a pick of the different uh, Asian cuisines there, 11 till 4 o'clock at Langley Park today. Uh, hang on, you just said you just don't get that with other sports. Mm. What do you reckon, Dave? Think of another sport that's had a festival on Langley Park or some activity out in the open where you the public can go and see and go, wow, that is such and such sport. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I, I, I agree with you. So, But I never thought of it like that. Yeah. Football have put on lots of open-air type of festivals, five-a-sides, ethnic World Cups, et cetera, et cetera, where you can go and you can see that and you can hear the drums, the sound, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, all that. Yeah. I can't think of any other sports that do that. No, and, and that's, oh, you know, I've, I've, had, I've got three boys and, and a daughter as well and we – 
they all get to a certain age of watching the AFL on TV and we have to have the talk about, now, why, why shouldn't I play AFL, Dad? I like <laughs> AFL too. <laughs> it, it's, not, it's not a difficult discussion because I just <clears> talk <throat> about the fact that, okay, so how many trips to Europe are you going to do with your AFL team? Ah. Um, what, and, what about because they've got homes of their sports, like netball have... Like in Fremantle, on I think it's Gibbs, on High Street. Gibbs There's Park, a yeah, yeah massive, yeah. and they there no doubt big canteens there. You know, hundreds of kids get together and play their sport, and parents can uh, do that every every Saturday morning or Sunday morning. So maybe there's. You know, state centres of their sports where they have those things that we have at all these other places. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I think it can work. And I mean, other my son goes to a local school as well, and it's pretty AFL centric. But I'm the number they all play soccer, football at lunchtime because it's an easy game to pick up, and they're all interested in it. So I think that's been a change, perhaps from ten, fifteen years ago, where your soccer, football diehards would play, and everyone else would do something else. But actually, now ninety percent of the kids will play it in the playground. Mm. They might do something different on the weekend. So, throw them a in, ball. In terms of yeah, in terms of just that becoming that constant part of every culture, every different multicultural group, including the English and the Australians, and obviously all the different African countries are now part of Perth community. I think football's winning that, and, and always has the advantage of it being a world game. So I, I think we're getting there. It's just so much more. So walking past, if you walk past Langley Park, we get to that point. Please go and have some whether it's some noodles or, you know, spring rolls or something like that, grab one of the food trucks and, and watch and cheer on whatever team you're going for. Uh, no idea who's going to win that. Uh, the other thing you just mentioned there as well, I'll quickly just say, is that uh, the I think it's called the Perth Amateurs Soccer World Cup, which is the ethnic World Cup. been going for 20, 30, 40 years. That's, on, that's been going for a couple of weeks since the end of the season, so they're about round three, and there's a senior level, master's level and junior level. Uh, I think the finals are probably a couple of weeks off, but they're getting towards the end of the group stage. Where's so. that, Vince? That is at, I'm pretty sure, at the Spanish Cup, the Latin American Association, but I'll... Oh, in Northlake? I believe so, but okay. I'll, I'll check that. They've got a website anyway. If you just type in PASWC into the website, Perth Amateur Soccer World Cup, and you'll see uh, they're getting the group stages. I think Brazil's looking pretty strong in a couple of the couple of different age groups, I'll say, and mm. uh, they could be difficult to beat. <coughs> I remember uh, Australia won that one once, uh, a bunch of guys from Melville. In fact, um, Friday Zico was part of the group at that time when we won the under-18 competition. Nice. And that was up at Lathlin Park. I remember it and, being there. And yep. before Lathlin Park, it was down in Fremantle, uh, Cola Cola yeah. Fields. Yeah, it's moved and around it's also a bit, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, as I said, there, there's so many different um, of these little festivals and competitions and futsal as well kicks off this weekend. The junior futsal leagues start as well, so... You can play football all year round. <laughs> the parents yeah, probably yeah. just shake their head, and, you know, but the kids love it. So, it's, look, it's just great that it's become that fabric of kids' lives, whether it's, you know, the outdoor 11 aside or an indoor or just mucking around at the park. I think that's what, you know, we're always, we want that. It's, it just brings joy to so many people, so it's good to see. Yeah. Absolutely, and uh, we'll put a plug in there for Futsal WA. Their new seasons are starting soon, so if you want to register, hop onto Futsal WA website. Uh, appreciate Greg and his time there. And yeah. he's also involved with Northern Redbacks too. Okay. The, I noticed the other day down at Melville Senior High, well, the primary portion of that, the Melville schools, um, kids throwing the, 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 the jacket down for, as goals and yeah. having a game. You know? Nice. And it just I thought that reminds me of back, back in Aberdeenshire when I was playing, you know. Yeah, uh, I noticed that when we were training for the Bunbury Carnival at the Murdoch Stadium, this is the girls' 14s team, so we had a kind of a mix of 14s and 16s and teams in the age group and then some guest players. We trained at the stadium. There was a boys' team also training there. 
and sometimes we have to say to the other people that were there kicking <laughs> bullets, do you mind, please? And they were just the public or yep. students or whatever. Yeah. They just come. They, you know, more and more found out that <clears> there's a nice pitch there and we can just jump the fence and or open the gate and go in. Not supposed to. It's not open to public, but it is actually available. Yeah. So it gets used and we just have to kind of create a bit of space when we go there. Yeah. No, no. If, if you've got a book, it's yours to take. Yeah. And most people are. Uh, sensible enough and move off but uh, yeah the, the weekends and nights as soon as the, the club or games finish you've got different groups going for the, yeah. each different goal you know but you've got to like that right <coughs> that, oh yeah that's you know the power of football you just get a couple of mates and the goals are there and you've got some grass and you go for it yeah it's nice well it's not grass but no it's not but it's good yeah. yeah there's grass just over the hill isn't there yeah. the actual Murdoch playing field yeah, yeah. A, yeah. But the, the curator will chase you. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's three cricket uh, <laughs> pitches there. Thanks for that, Vince. There's a lot happening in football. We're going to go to a break and come back and chat more football with Neil Bennett from Northern Redbacks. This is Penn, Dave and Vince. Mm. Thanks for listening in. You're very... Open your eyes! My woman can referee escaping! Listen to this, Muppet. Every week he does this, screaming and shouting at the ref. Look at him, the ref. But he gives up his Saturday mornings to do this. Now, was it the right decision? It might have been, it might not have been. Who knows? We all make mistakes. You mug! Would you take this at work? Nah. Okay, thank you. No, don't thank me, thank you! Just clear the plan area, please. You ain't got a clue! All right. You see, Dad's trying to live out his own dreams for his son. Dad, what's the matter with you? That's a suicide. How's he supposed to learn if he can't make his own mistakes? Referee, you're not watching the game, mate. You're watching me. You ain't gonna see nothing here. It's no wonder we're losing so many refs when we're having to put up with people like Jet the Biscuit here every week. Come on, Steve! You're running about like a chicken with no egg. Lime it up! And it's no wonder thousands of kids give up the game either. We carry on like this. We won't have a game left. Ref! Ref? Some of us need to take a long, hard look at ourselves. West Coast Futsal Association was established to develop and promote the game of futsal. With a vibrant new look and re-imaging, we are now Futsal WA. With a dedication to capture the fast growth of the sport at all levels, Futsal WA is Futsal in Western Australia. Futsal WA provides boundless opportunities to play with grassroots and junior leagues, pathways to academies, and elite club competitions and representative futsal that can help you follow a dream of professional futsal in Europe or Asia. With four venues across Perth, as an individual or as a group of mates who want to play, there's a junior, men's, women's or mixed competition that will suit you. Contact us to get involved in futsal, an action-packed sport and the fastest growing sport in Australia. Contact us at Futsal WA on 0432 745 140 via email at info at futsalwa.org.au or via our website 
www.futsalwa.org.au. Oh, give me land, lots of land under starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Oswest Fencing and Rotiron. Are you looking to build or replace your gates or fencing? The Oswest team can offer four generations of advice, materials and kit assemblies for your unique fence and gate project. We specialise in colourbond, aluminium, steel and timber gates. Check out our galleries at oswestfencing.com.au That's A-U-S-W-E-S-T fencing.com.au Please don't fence me in G'day, I'm Peter Skeeler, the man behind A-LeagueStats.com and part of the world football team for 2021. Joining me this year will be women's football expert Penny Tannerhoth, Ashfield Sports Club member Sean Kelly, Subutio expert Hugh Best and Junior Matilda's goalkeeper Miranda Templeman. We will be with you every Saturday morning through to the end of November talking football. Catch the show on live stream or via our new website, listen in later on the podcast or land on our Facebook page and share your football news. The World Football Program on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. A billion people tuning into the match between... Hey, you ready? That was the Nike Dream Further advert, and I think a lot of the adverts you find on social media these days are more about visual, not about the sound. So if I try and pick up some promos, football promos, to put on the radio, I have to really listen to it to get the audio out of it. So I think mm. I'm going to cross that one off now because <laughs> uh, it's got like a guess what this advert is, Nike Dream Further. Anyway, you've got Penn, Dave and Vince in the studio and Neil Bennett Mr. Media from Northern Redbacks. Good morning. Good morning, Penny. How are you? I'm super duper. And uh, how did last night's awards night wash up for you and the club? So, um, we had, uh, as you mentioned, we had our awards um, at the end of the season. And very successful it was too, held in the city. And for the first time ever, we had a combined juniors and seniors. So um, the junior players joined the senior players for the evening, uh, a cocktail evening. Um Obviously, the juniors were on um, strict soft drinks and uh, their, their parents were looking after them as well. But, yeah, it was a very successful night and thoroughly enjoyable. Give us an idea of the size of Northern Redbacks these days, number of teams, number of members. Season 2021, we had six teams out there on the field, um, our MPLW teams, uh, the first team and the under-23s. Then we had a team in the amateurs. Um, that was essentially an under-18s team. Uh, competed in the in the women's competition. We had a Metro 2 team as well. So they were our adult teams. 
And then we had an under-16s and an under-14s as well. So not quite as many teams as we've had in the past. In fact, we did lose a team uh, right at the beginning of the season for a variety of reasons. Um, but next year, we're hoping to expand and we're looking at having eight teams out there because we're going to add an under-12s and an under-18s to our junior ranks, which is very exciting. So just for our listeners, we're talking to Neil Bennett. What is your correct title with uh, Northern Redbacks, Neil? Uh, a man of many hats. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, I, as you mentioned at the top, I, I do look after the social media and, and the web page for the club. Um, and uh, But also this year was looking after the, the coaches to being what we call the director of football, um, basically troubleshooting any issues that coaches needed in terms of player movements, uh, equipment, those sorts of things, um, and a committee member on top of that, and also uh, an, an assistant assistant coach for the under-16s. That wasn't the, the real coach, but I had to step in right at the beginning of the season because a coach left us, um, decided that it was more important that he coach a boys' team than a girls' team and just Ooh. walked out on us. Right, um, right, right at the beginning of the season, uh, the preseason. So we were stuck, and I had to step into the breach. So I found myself being a coach, director of football, director of social media, and a committee member at one point. So it was pretty busy this season, yeah. And, and dad of footballers. Sorry. And dad of footballers. And yes, uh, I forgot to mention that. Probably the most important thing. Yes, a proud father of a footballer as well. So. Uh, She's still playing, um, Carla, and uh, yeah, I, I get along to as many of the MPLW games as I possibly can. Um, so yeah, that's that's something that you almost forget. But yes, I'm still a, still a proud dad. Yeah. Yes, uh, and just for our listeners out there, uh, Northern Redbacks are the only female-only football club in Western Australia that I know of, anyway, and only one of two in Australia because Beckenham Angels was the other one in WA, which has uh, dissolved. Uh, long before NPL came along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, it, it is getting harder and harder. There are a number of other clubs um, in the eastern states, um, and in fact there's a, there's a series going on on one of the websites, and there's a team in Glasgow uh, in Scotland who are actually competing in the Women's Champions League, Glasgow City, yeah. and they're a female-only club. Um, but yeah, for, for WA, we, I think you're right, Pen. I think we're the only sole female club left um, because Beckham Angels were obviously there with us as well for a period of time but yeah just just the only female only club left in the competition and left in the state really I think well, I think that uh, in Denmark is it Dana Huring is also a female only club they have the Dana Cup every year though they used to anyway before COVID and it was one of the biggest ones in the world I'm pretty sure they're a female only club and they are massive in okay. Denmark I have to do some research yeah, on yeah. that one Mm. Yeah, there are some some around, yes, but um, we're a rarity. We're not. We're certainly not uh, not the norm, um, so to speak. And we use, and we wear that as a badge of honour. Um, you know, it's something that we're very proud of that we that we cater specifically for females. And um, the, the the parents and the feedback that we get from the parents are that they come to us for that very reason. So it, it's something we're very proud of. And how's that working in terms of growth and movement into the NPL space? Retaining that female-only space—it's—it's it's not been easy. Uh, it has to be said. Um, the biggest issue that we faced are the regulations that come around with the NPL. So, straight off the bat, you have to find a license fee. Um, so that's an additional cost that you have to wear. 
The referees' fees are also much, much higher in the MPLW than they are in the other leagues. So, again, we have to find the money for that. But the biggest issue for us has been uh, facilities. Um, so the ground that we played at prior to NPL was at Celebration Park in Balga. It's a community park. Um, we were forced to move there in 2011 as a result of a men's team demanding the use of the field that we had at Vasto. So we, we were basically kicked off that. We, we had to move. We were given no choice and relocated to Celebration, which, as I said, is a community park in the middle of Balga. Um, the pitch that we have that's closest to our club rooms is not long enough or wide enough because we have a cricket pitch right in the middle of it, um, of the two fields that we have, so we can't extend it width-wise. And we have no capacity to expand it lengthwise because there are natural um, curves in the, in, the, in the terrain there that means you'd have to do some major earthwork to make it any longer or any wider. Um, we're not allowed to put fencing around, which is a prerequisite for, um, for MPLW because the local residents have said it's a public park. We're not, we're not going to have fencing put around that. And then the last issue that we've had to face as well is the strength of the lights. Um, we're, we're unable to make the lights any brighter because they're only at 50 lumen, which is the minimum for training according to the regulations that Football West have put down. But to actually play an MPLW night game, uh, which we were having to do because of COVID and catch-ups with bad weather, we needed 200 lumens, and we simply couldn't do that. We got no control over that. So it was a very, very difficult season for us um, in trying to find and source a ground. Um, and that's ongoing for us. And, and we've got no control over any of these issues, and that's the frustrating part about it. When you landed at Celebration Park as Northern Redbacks, did you anticipate that you'd grow to a point where you'd need those things? Was it part of a plan or... Yeah, you just weren't sure where you'd go. You just needed a space to be. We we had to find a field, Penny. Yeah, I mean we we would be, we've been playing at Basto for a number of years, both as Sterling Reds and as Sterling and as Northern Redbacks. Um, but uh, as I said, that move was because a men's team demanded that they needed that that field as an overflow, and council said, okay, you have it. The women's team has to move, and we're talking 2011 now, so ch- things have changed a lot in that. 10-year period, the, the women's game has given a little bit more um, equity, but it was still a bitter pill to swallow. But moving to Celebration Park, we, we were then confronted with no lights. There were no lights at the park the first couple of seasons we were there, so we still had to train at Basto. We had no choice there. And there was no club rooms either. Um, so we managed to get some funding for, for an upgrade to, to get female-friendly uh, changing room facilities. Uh, there were none there. We basically arrived and the changing rooms were full of men's urinals. And that was all we had. Um, so, you know, it's, it's been one hell of a struggle. And people, I think, because of the success we have, people think that, it, you know, it, it, it just rocks on. But we've only got a playing base of 100 players. Um, you know, Melville uh, with 1,100, Fremantle with 1,300. You then get all the resources that Perth Soccer Club have got. Um, Subiaco are an enormous club as well Curtin at the backing of a university Um, we're a tiny tiny little club um, and it's getting harder and harder to compete with the bigger teams Um, but we keep punching we keep going um, and and just doing our best with the the facilities we got but yeah we have to source them and we have to try and think a little bit more imaginatively about how we're going to do things So do I hear in that conversation that you want to retain your female-only status, 
but you need some space to grow and you need to comply with rules of competitions that you want to be a part of. Yeah, basically that's in a nutshell. Um, we are investigating, believe it or not, going back to Vasto. Um, we're, we're working on a proposal that that can be a centre of football, not just for Northern Redbacks, but for all teams in the area. And it's, it's a huge area. When you think north of the river, the, 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 the state football centre is going to go in at Queen's Park, which is fantastic. Um, and then Fremantle have also got their centre of football as well. But there's nothing north of the river. And that area through Wanneroo up to Joondalup is, is just growing exponentially. It's huge. And with 2023 just around the corner, we are anticipating an explosion um, in participation rates. And Football West is saying that already. And the fact that we've grown now next year, hopefully, to eight teams and not just six, we're getting very close to basically exhausting what Celebration Park can give us. So we're looking for an overflow, and that may be a vast over. We're hoping that we can get a proposal up where we can get something there that would be able to host NPLW games, um, but also be a base for maybe even for the NTC because their players are having to travel down to the south of the river from Mindari and places like that. Huge distances for those parents to travel. So if there was a split base, you had one south of the river, one north of the river, then the NCC training could be flip-flopped around north and south or or maybe the north players play and train in the north and the south players train in the south, I don't know. But there is a crying need for more facilities in the northern half of the city because they're just not there. And for us, you know, we went to clubs during the season to try and ground share um, and we went to, to, to men's teams and they said, yeah, you can play for us, you can play on our, on our ground but we'll take the gate-takings. Gate, gate We'll take the bar takings and you will pay us for the use of that field. And, you know, that exhausts all of our financial resources very, very quickly. So it's been a very stressful season trying to find doesn't a ground it, and that and that continues for next year as well. Neil, doesn't it also share your <coughs> expenses, though, if you're not having – I mean, if you're – you're paying registration registration to the club, they're taking the bar facility, whatever, but they're also going to be paying for other things and allowing you not to pay ground fees, etc. Uh, uh, no, this was this was not as a, as a merger, as a club. This was just to use their facilities. And we yeah. weren't talking we weren't talking about merging with these teams. We were talking, can we use your facilities? Can you help us? Ah, yes, okay. but you, you will pay us for that for that privilege. That's what it boiled down to. Okay, Neil, was that the situation uh, that you, the what was that you were trying to set up with the ECU Joondalup? The ECU Joondalup one is a slightly different one because they didn't actually charge us for anything. We did play a couple of games up there um, and we are uh, investigating options with that club, yes, um, yeah. to, to, to look at, at how how things can move forward. But it's still business as usual as far as we're concerned at the moment. Um, and and the, the ground, the Football West have made it perfectly clear. Celebration Park is off the agenda for next season. So we have to find wow. another ground. It's as simple as that. Um, you know, we got a special dispensation for this year. Um, if we don't find a ground, um, essentially Northern Redbacks are in deep, deep trouble. Um, but we're, we're optimistic that we will have a ground next year. Um, and as I said, we, we are in negotiations with Joondalup over that. Um, and then we, you, you don't know what the future brings, but 
the other clubs that we we approached it, it was just basically yeah play here but pay us yeah uh, jungle up with the only team that said no you don't have to pay us and uh, we were we were really grateful for that yeah wow so to comply and to retain your position in npl you can't stay at celebration to retain your female only status you want to move the entire club somewhere that will receive you in that that right that or not the right but that that space of being female only that that's a difficult place to be neil yeah it, it's very difficult but i mean it we, we're, we're painting a very bleak picture here it's it's not all that bad <laughs> essentially Good. it's the it's, it's the NPLW team that is the team that's going to be affected by the regulations all of the other teams that we have from our the proposals from Football West uh, for the structure for the league next season is a state league one, two, and three. We would hope to land in one of those leagues. Our Metro team is still going to be with us, and then we have our 18s, 16s, 14s, and 12s. They will all play at Celebration Park. That will still remain. The, the, that, that's not an issue. It is just the NPL regulations that mean that we can't host NPL games at celebration and that's what we've got to try and sort out and that's what we're working out at the moment. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Tough lot, times. A lot on your plate over summer. Yeah. Okay. Let's it's trial season as well. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> there's a lot going on. Yeah. 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 But I suppose what you've got is the the strength of Northern Redbacks identity itself. People know it's a female only club, so that the committee is going to do everything it can for that to be retained wherever it is so people will want to come there in the thought that that is going to be retained wherever you are going to be. Yeah, I mean, we we would, you know, have firm control over, over the direction of female football uh, in the future. That That's our intention. We, we, we're not expecting to relinquish that at all. Um, and the fact that we've been able to now get the players in to get us to 12s and an 18s on top of our 14s and 16s. And both of those teams last season had very successful seasons. And on top of the successful seasons they had, we also had five players out of our junior ranks get either a full-time, four of them got full-time and one associate with NTC. Um, you know, we had two, two players under the age of 21 becoming golden boots, one in the NPL under-23s and one in the amateurs. So our, our youth structure is very strong um, and it continues to grow and get bigger and bigger. And that's that's a base that we can build on. And then on top of that, our senior team, um, we have two players at Perth Glory. We have four players with over 200 games each uh, playing in our first team as well. Um, and the strength and depth that we have going down into our 21s is looking very good as well. So we're in a very good position on the field, no problem at all. Um, it's just we have to negotiate our way through these these regulations are imposed on us, and we knew that that would come with NPLW. It's just been very hard to compete um, with with the issues that have come up. Uh, things that we have no control over, such as the ground and the lighting, have become very, very hard for us to, to manage. But we'll get there. Uh, I think the club has always been one that's been innovative and at the forefront of change. We've always changed, and, and we will continue to change, because if you stay still, you can kiss it goodbye. So, um, mm. yeah. Yeah, it, it's not it's not all doom and gloom. There's certainly plenty to be optimistic about. 
Okay. Neil, you're talking some positives there about uh, the numbers through the junior ranks. Over the last few years, you've been closely involved. What would you say has been the biggest standout for you in terms of uh, what's changed for the, the girls and the women coming through in terms of improvements and standards? What, what do you think has been the biggest jump? I think... Um I think the recognition uh, at the very top end of the game uh, of the Matildas um, has been a huge boost. I, I don't think that that can be overstated, that their exposure has lifted the profile of the women's game enormously. Um, when AFLW came along, there was a concern then that we would start to bleed players out. But I think the opposite has happened, is that um, players have gone to the AFLW and recognised that it's not offering you the same opportunities that football can. You can't go to the Olympics with AFLW. You can't play in a World Cup with AFLW. What can you do? You, you get into a, a pretendy team, don't you? That's the highest accolade you can get. You can get to a team that plays on paper, the team of the year. You know? So the, the, the opportunities are there for the players. And with that has become an explosion in the numbers and players picking the game up earlier. I think that's been the biggest thing, is we're getting players coming to us at the age of 10, 11, that have been playing the game for two to three years. So their basics are already there. Um, you know, they're, they're learning the, the fundamentals of the game at a much earlier stage, whereas maybe five years ago, you would get players of 13, 14 who'd never kicked a ball ever and wanted to play soccer for the season. And you were having to try and integrate them into a junior team that had those better players. So training sessions became a real challenge from players who could hardly kick a ball to those who were very complex, uh, accomplished players. So I think that's the thing, is that players are picking the game up a lot earlier and they're coming to us as clubs, and it's not just us at Redbacks, it's all the other clubs as well, with those basics ready to go. And then you can build on those fundamentals and you can really start to polish them up. Mm. Um, Neil, on another uh, tact, Matildas are playing this weekend and mm -hmm. uh, Perth Glory's uh, season... Oh, a-League women. A-League women. A-League women, Yeah, yes. okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I've got to remember it's the Isuzu Ute A-League. Is that how it goes? Men. Yeah. 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 Right. yeah, that's right, yeah. I'm going to keep saying that so I practice that and it just becomes automatic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, I know that from Mum FC, uh, Sadie Lawrence has been selected in the Perth Glory. I think yep. that's our only player, is that right, Dave? No. Uh, no, I think you've also got oh, uh, Abby, Abby Green. Green. Abby Green, Abby Green yeah. yep. Sorry, yeah, Abby. Yeah. Um, and from Northern Redbacks, Kim Carroll. And Sarah, yeah. And Sarah, yeah, um, sorry. Yeah, we also, and we also still have a tenuous link. <laughs> we, we claim her as our own as Morgan Aquino as well. Okay, do it. Yep, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, unfortunately, none of those uh, young ladies in the Glory Squad are in the Matildas. Uh, no. but, but I think we'll generally, as West Australians, claim Sam Kerr. Because yeah. she's from yes. Fremantle area. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And um, and Lydia Williams as well. Yep. Yeah. Tenuously. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to watch the Matildas, there's the game this afternoon. I'm not sure what time Western Standard Time, but it's um, 7.50 Eastern Standard Time uh, on Channel 10, free to air. And then the second game is on Tuesday, uh, and that is, I think it's 8 o'clock. Uh, Eastern Standard Time, also free to air on Channel 10. And at the moment, Sam Kerr is on, I think she's on 48 goals, and she's got to beat Timmy Cahill's 50. Yeah. And she'll do that easy. <laughs> Easily. Yeah. Easily. Sorry, Timmy. Easily, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's come on loose and burnt playing 
she's a goal scoring machine. Yeah. She just has uh, a way about her, and it's you know, one goal here, one goal there, and yep, just uh, she's only what, 26 at the moment. I think she'll be 28 when the Women's World Cup comes around. Yeah. In a prime. Uh, in a she's prime. She's a bit, a bit older than that. Um, nah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Well, I know this because uh, my daughter, she grew up in the state squads that Sam was in and Sam was just a year younger and Carla will turn 30 next year. So Sam, I think it's 28, 29 now. Okay. Ah, okay. Fair yeah. enough. So she'll still <clears> be in a prime at the age of 30. I she should, yes. Yeah, I mean, I think the Women's World Cup, when it comes around, this particular group of the Matildas will be this will be their, their absolute peak. Um, and I think then the rebuilding will start after that with Gustafsson. Um, so it's an important tournament, huge tournament for them, and, and it's probably the swan song for a number of them. Um, and I'm sure that they will be absolutely busting a gut uh, to, to bring it home. Yeah, you're right. It's born in 1983. That means uh, World Cup year she'll be 30. Mm. There okay. you go. Yeah. Yeah, I just can't imagine her scoring any less goals than what she does at the moment. She's just so consistent in the way she goes about things. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, an absolute machine. Um, I was actually talking to Alex um, earlier this week about the preparation. So they've got 13 players here in Perth at the moment um, uh, starting their pre-season and the internationals and the Sydney-based players will be arriving shortly, he said. So um, he reckons the mood in the camp is very, very positive and everybody's raring to go. So it's going to be a completely different glory squad okay. running around again and very young. And, um, yeah, I, I, I'm very excited about what he's pulled together. I think he's done an excellent job in his recruiting. Um, it just remains to be seen on what sort of an impact COVID is going to have on the competition. I think you'll all know that they've only released the first four home games or the first four league games in the fixtures simply because there's so much uncertainty about which states will allow players to move in and out without too much quarantining so uh, that that's going to be the big question mark I think for the season this year. Yes uh, just looking through the Perth Glory squad at the moment there's, I think there's 21 players on their books at this moment I don't yep. know what the cap yep. for a squad is. But I think it's 22 maybe 23 at the absolute limit uh, they do have trained on players uh, as emergencies and injuries but I think he may have one more signing up his sleeve uh, talking to him but uh, I think that would probably be about it then yep um, and oh Sadie did I say Sadie Lawrence I yeah. did say Sadie Lawrence yeah, yeah she's had an outstanding yeah. season for mum and um, yeah, she took over as captain of the squad when Katie became pregnant yeah. and mm. do you know interesting fact here that um, I've been with the club for a few years now through the transition of Melville to in 2020 Mum FC yeah. and I've I've been the only mum playing at Mum FC and I was, that was a bit of a funny <laughs> thing right and then when Katie got pregnant I'm like oh, there's, there's another mum at Mum FC now I'm not the only one yeah <laughs> Yeah, this, yeah, at, at that highest level, that, that, that would be very unusual. Um, you know, in the NPL, I, I doubt very much if there are any more players out there that are, that are mums. Um, there's some obviously playing around in the, in the state league and um, in the amateurs as well as it was. But yeah, it's still quite unusual, isn't it, to have, yep. to yeah. have a mum playing football. And that's something that we need to work on, I think, in the female games, to, yeah. is to retain, to retain people like yourselves, Penn, have got that passion. Mm. And just because you've had a child, it shouldn't stop you at all. You should be able to go. And that's that's something that we felt keenly that we should be looking at more at Redbacks is that when, when supporters come along and they bring the young kids, we don't have 
the space at the moment to, to offer up something like a creche for for any players that come with their young kiddies that they want to just leave there for a little while. So that would be another thing that we'd be looking at. It's called husbands. <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're off playing as well, Pam. Yeah, yeah. And, you know. <laughs> Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right, Neil. Thanks so much for joining us. I yeah, wish you well in Redbacks endeavours. Um, well respected club, good history, uh, competitive wise, and in, in attracting players and families because of that female only status. So I do hope it endures. Yeah. Mm. Twenty twenty three will be our twentieth anniversary. Um, wow. Okay. So, we, as Northern Redbacks, so, you know, we were we were around as Sterling Reds prior to that. But yeah, it's Northern Redbacks twenty years coming up. So yeah, we're we're pushing. Um, as I said, it's not all doom and gloom. There's a lot to be optimistic about, and I'm sure that we'll we'll get over these little hurdles. We're in uh, very very um, strong talks with with June Love about the, about a pitch, um, and I, I, you know, I'm very very confident going forward that that everything's going to fall into place. Well, good luck. Uh, thoughts be with you with that, and uh, I hope you get some relaxed time over the summer period. Neil, <laughs> yeah. I'm looking. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, if you don't, just come back and talk to us about it. It's all right. <laughs> good on you, Neil. Enjoy the weekend. I will do. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you. Bye, Bye Neil. That was Neil Bennett, community member at Northern Redbacks, dad, media man. Yeah. Director of coaching, it, it, all that kind tough of thing. gig though. Eh? Trying to get a pitch to play on and yep. getting forced off by a men's team. I, yeah, they do have some hard parameters to to fit into though, uh, which is probably why they did leave Vasto because they were. I think at the time they might have been the only the only. I don't know if men were actually playing at the club at that time. I can't remember. Should have asked uh, that. Juniors certainly played there. Okay, mm. and trained. Yeah. Yep, and they grew. We heard, we heard Sharif say earlier that, that facilities are one of the biggest challenges yep. for yeah, yeah. football in WA and there's, there's a clear example of it there. So Yeah. 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 But it's it's a nice thing to be female only, but in the wider world when you want to grow into those other areas like NPL and fencing, lighting requirements, then gee, it's a hard space to yeah. negotiate. But there's, there's a disappointing thing happening in Melville right now. Uh the for sure down at uh, Troy Park all that's been uh, redone Troy Park will stay, they're building two new facilities for foodie Okay. and here's AFL uh, AFL. two new foodie pitches going in there and there's probably two or three teams Troy Park and Applecross? Yeah, no, Adderdale yeah Yeah. the thing about it is uh, our uh, um the Saints are looking for more ground. Yeah, 100 metres down the road, yeah. yeah. And th- they built two new footy fields. There's more footy fields in, in Melbourne than there is houses. Maybe they need more footy fields too, Dave. No. And they jumped higher. No, I, I totally disagree with that. I don't know. Well, mm. how come we've such a problem? Well, it, maybe they have a problem too. It does go back to, no, to the ability to to influence whether it's local government or state government, federal government, and get <coughs> grants for these kind of things. It's not about merit most of the time. There's merit involved, but it's not only about merit. And so AFL has been better than than lobbying, soccer football at lobbying, having having people profile. in those positions who are part of those clubs originally mm. and come from that background. Yeah, you know, football, soccer. We 
Influence, we don't often Dave. have a, a big football fan in government, a big soccer football fan as, you know, part of the government. It's unusual. When it happens, and we have Tony Booty now, who is um, yep. Minister for Sport and Recreation, who does come from a background that so enjoys Mick soccer. Murray. Mick Murray. Yep. He's a big footy fan, Mick Murray, big AFL fan, Mick Murray. He used and to so, come on our show and he used to say, yeah. it's all about football. Yeah, so... <laughs> that, and so that's not to say that it's unfair and it can't happen. That That's life, but... It's a challenge. So we, we do need more people with football backgrounds in these kind of positions because it, it's and, going to help. Ultimately, and council help. as well. Yeah, it's going to yeah, help. Very mm. important. Yes, lots to think about. We will go to another break. This is Penn, Vince and Dave on the World Football Program. We'll be back shortly having a chat to Derek Pollock about all things European and English football. The top station on your radio dial, Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. Gate and Fence Hardware WA is your hardware shop online. Find all the parts you need to fix, make and secure your gates and fences. Friendly staff and family offer advice to help your project along or order in your special part. Gate and Fence Hardware WA. Station Sponsor. It's the points. These guys are coming to our country to play for the most important points leading to the World Cup. This is it. We're at home. This is why we all play football. It definitely makes a difference when you see and you feel the passion from the fans and their noise and their support will carry us over the line. This is the world stage and whatever happens on here is down to you.
Welcome back to the World Football Program, Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. Feel free, if you don't catch the entire show, to log on to the World Football Program website and listen in to the podcast there. It's uploaded every Saturday afternoon. And Nick Templeman, that is Miranda's dad, has been uploading that all year for us. And I do appreciate that. We all appreciate that, especially when I'm not hosting. I can listen to the show if I'm out and about doing football stuff. Log in and listen to the podcast. So thanks very much, Nick. We've got a new guest on now, Derek Pollock. Good morning, Derek. How are you? Thanks, Danny. How are you? I'm super awesome, relaxed, ready to listen to what you've got to say about Newcastle and Ronaldo not being enough value and whatever else comes <laughs> from that way. <laughs> I've actually been watching some of the Champions League's game this week. got a young lad working for me. He's Liverpool-centric, so I've had to catch up on all the games so he just can have a conversation with me in the office. What's been taking your fancy football this week over that way? Uh, well, yeah, 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 everything really. Liverpool, good win against Atletico Madrid, um, and they've got three wins from three in a, in a pretty tough group, um, so they look like they're pretty well sorted to qualify out of that one, um, see if AC Milan can get some points on the board. Um, but yeah, but Ronaldo has definitely been a bit of a talking point lately. Um, he, you know, very much uh, a, a, yeah, a fan-focused buy rather than anything related to his um, overall impact on, on the sort of, yeah, the, the team and the way it performs on the pitch on a week-to-week basis. So he has scored a few goals. Got to give that to him. That's what he's there for, right? Is that value for money? Yeah, I mean, he he always scores goals, and that is very much sort of part of the reason why they got him. Um, a bit of nostalgia for fans. A bit of let's not let Man City get him. Uh, but I think what they've got to sort of assess really is how do you offset the goals that he scores against the goals that they then don't score because he's in the team and not doing a lot of the other things that other forwards who would be in his place would be doing, like, for example, pressing. Yeah, that's that's a big call. Now, well, if, you, if you look at Man, Man United last year, they were the second highest scoring club in the Premier League. So goals for weren't their Achilles heel. And I, and I think, um, I mean, there's obviously some extra short voices about Ronaldo in terms of ability, but there's no doubt Ronaldo does still score goals. He's, you know, he's incredible. Yeah, he's like Sam Kerr. He's very but, consistent. But that wasn't what Man United were missing last year. And they'd signed Jadon Sancho. And I was one of the people looking forward to seeing him play this year. It looks like, you know, we'll be lucky to see 20 minutes a week of him. So I think, you know, it, it's not so much about whether Ronaldo is still good enough or score goals. It was that that's not quite what Man U needed. Yes, he'll score goals, but their problems were elsewhere. And uh, it's, you know, probably happening more quickly than others suspected it would in terms of exposing that hole in the, in the centre of midfield, basically. Management orientated, perhaps? Well, it probably wasn't Solskjaer's fault either, was it? Do you think, um, Derek? What do you think? Was it his fault? Did he want to have all those riches up front, or do you think it was just forced upon him? I mean, I think if you look at the last few years of Man United's um, transfer business, there's very much like a left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing, and they're crying out for a holding midfielder um, who's better than a Fred McTominay, and they just keep getting sort of these these fancy signings in the in the, in the front side of the pitch, and the fact that they played in a double pivot with was it McTominay and, and Pogba the other week and, and it's just sort of like well what what do you want to happen there <laughs> because whatever you know whatever you you know whatever you need that's not what's going to be happening when you've got those sort of double, double pivot and then just always attacking players in front of them and if you look at the whole way that they're supposed to kind of be playing it's a little bit of pressing and that sort of that, that quick uh, counter-attack style 
um, approach. And there was um, a stat released last year where of, of, of every striker in the top five leagues who's played over a certain amount of minutes, Ronaldo pressed the least of any of them. <laughs> so he does absolutely nothing outside of getting on the end and scoring goals. And whilst I'm not trying to sort of belittle uh, his goal-scoring ability because it's phenomenal, but how many goals are they not scoring because they're not able to play in a certain way? Or how many goals maybe are they conceding because they're forced to try and um, sort of shoehorn Ronaldo into a team that's just not designed for that ability? Mm. And the, the, in terms of the talk about signing him, the, it's just another thing that just doesn't seem like there's any real um, long-term planning from Man United. I mean, he definitely didn't seem like he was... Well, there's, there was no need to sign a striker, and there was no need to sign Ronaldo. But then, as soon as there's talk about Man City buying him, suddenly, within 20, 24 hours, it's gone from there's no talk of Ronaldo to he's holding a shirt up at Old Trafford, and, you know, and, and City don't have him. So it definitely seems very much like oh, we can't let... Manchester City have A, our idol, and B, um, all of the marketing factors that that goes along with that. Was this the greatest bluff slash troll by Man City <laughs> in the history of uh, footballing rivalries to pretend they were going to sign uh, Ronaldo and force Man U to spend all that money on someone they didn't need? Well, I think it would more be um, by his agent, where you know he needed to get out of Juventus. Allegri wasn't going to be having him. There was, there was no doubt of that. There was already talk that he wanted to leave. And the agent goes, okay, well, we know Man United aren't going to let Man City get him. So let's just, you know, Man City need a striker. You know, you don't need to be Nostradamus to sort of figure out how to, how to put enough dots there for Man United to connect themselves. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so what is it that Man United... And to be fair, Man United have, Man United have some form on, in, this, in the past. There was a, a couple of years ago, just before they signed Harry Maguire, where they were looking for a centre-back and... Unlike Liverpool, who went, we want this very specific player, and if we can't get him, we wait six months. Man United went, we want someone at centre back, and so Diego Godin, his manager, used interest from Man United in order to try and draw a much larger contract out of Atletico Madrid. So they have been done by this like this before. So Ronaldo's never had a pressing. I feel Ronaldo's never played a pressing game, even when he was a young lad. It was all about goal scoring, taking on players' goal scoring. So. But he's, he's lost a lot of the ability to ride the link-up play and the ability to sort of um, play out wide then cut in from the left and, and work up and down the pitch. And he, yeah, I mean, pressing games have never really been his strong suit, but he's, you know, he's pressed more than, more than nothing, which is currently what Man United are getting out of him. And so, and the other part of it, the, the factor, I guess, is there was no big vacant hole for a striker that they needed. Um, and he's, every time he's on the pitch, he's, delaying the progress of another young player like Sancho, yeah. who can't get in the team, like Greenwood, who, who should be playing up at, at the nine, mm-hmm. but has been pushed out to the, to, to the right-hand side to accommodate Ronaldo. Or Cavani, who does a lot of the pressing that, he, you know, that Ronaldo should be doing, that he just doesn't. Well, do you think he'll get found out? At some point, they won't be doing what they are coached to do or the fans want them to do or that the team should do or expressing the potential that they should and he'll get found out and he won't be in the team. Well, it's funny you say what they're coached to do because that's the other question mark of Man United this year is what are they getting coached to do because a lot of players come onto the field and either aren't doing what they're supposed to do or, or don't know what they're supposed to do. And you know, and that's been a big factor where Jaden Sancho comes on and it just doesn't really look like he's got any clear instruction of this is how he wants or how Solskjaer wants him to be played. And I feel Solskjaer, I know it's been a bit of a running joke for Sean and I about me predicting Solskjaer to be on the first manager sacked every year. 
But as someone who likes to watch Man United not do well, Solskjaer, for me, seems to be the perfect manager where he's too good to get sacked, but not quite good enough to do anything consistently well. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I think the time's coming, though, as you say. it's It's been talked about for a little while, and he's, it's not necessarily that he's a bad manager. He's just a young manager. He's still learning his craft, and he's, he's not at the same tactical level as some of these top guys. When you've spent that much money and you expect to be in the top top two or three, every loss puts that pressure, doesn't it, um, you know, more on him. And they're being found out, that centre of the middle, that they just, you know, I'm not the owners, they just don't control games. And they win away games. They won 30 in a row, I think it was. That was their first loss last week. Uh, an, an away game for a long time, and that's because they're not expected to control. They're so talented. They hit teams on the break and score. There's no doubt about it. But when you want them to control the game, you look at the European games. They just haven't done that for so long, hmm. and and that's being found. That's being talked about. And I think, I think there'll be a new manager by Christmas. Well, I think. I mean, like you, you raised a good point about no control of the game, but that's more of the point. I think where to, in order to control the game, there's got to be you know, a clear coaching emphasis where, you know, this is how we do it, this is what I want these players to do, this is what you need to do at this stage of the game, whereas I don't think there is that. I think it's very much, if I can get these talented players on the field, they will do enough good things to to score goals. You know, if I, if you know, I could be manager of Man United, put Bruno Fernandes and Rashford on the pitch and they'll score a couple of goals, you know, but they obviously won't be the same level of the team, but, but, you know, but they would score goals and that's kind of seems a little bit where it is at the moment. If, if I can put enough talented players in the field, something will happen and there just doesn't seem to be any, any real progress beyond that and for Man United, that's just not good enough. You can't, you know, look at Crystal Palace, you know, they've had basically a new well, half of a new starting eleven and a new manager. And in eight games, they look like a really um, strong team with sort of, well, comparatively, with a real clear identity, playing style and all of that. And it just doesn't seem to be, seems to be absent from Man United, even though Solskjaer's had almost three years now. Do you feel that um, Messi is fitting into PSG? Um, well, in terms of players <laughs> signed when you don't really need them, um, when I saw Messi both in that bracket. I mean, I think if you saw against the goal against uh, the goal they conceded against Club Brugge in the Champions League, where Club Brugge scored and Messi and Mbappe and Neymar were all standing on the halfway line watching. Uh, so I think Pochettino has a hard job trying to get balance into a team where three players do absolutely no defensive work. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't think they're stronger this year. Messi's going to do some amazing stuff. They're kind of relying on Mbappe to do a lot of that running of the front three because the other two don't do any. But it's hard to argue that they're a stronger team than last year in terms of their overall uh, performance. And Man City have to be favourites at the moment, I think, along with with uh, Bayern Munich probably for the Champions League. Would you say, Derek? Yeah, absolutely. Man City and Bayern Munich have got to be up there. If Man City can find a striker in January, then that's just adds to it because they've been trying to fit, you know, how many attacking midfielders can, can you get into this team um, when you don't have an actual striker. Um, yeah, uh, but you've, they've got to be favourites, especially if they can get that nine, someone like a Holland, uh, maybe, or I um, don't know who else they would go for. Um, maybe Martinez from Inter would be good. But um, yeah, definitely um, City or Bayern. Bayern just, just keep on keep on keeping on, really. Bayern are amazing and just keep getting players and getting the best out of them. And I think there's a really clear... Uh, trend in football at the moment where you can see clubs that are where the manager has control or clubs where the, play, where the players have control and sort of the success or lack, lack of success from, from that. You know, you look at Man City and Pep is the man. You look at Liverpool, Jürgen is the man. You look at Man United and Ronaldo is the man or Pogba is the man or, or whoever. 
you look at PSG and again it's the players who, who dictate what happens there and I think that's really starting to show where football to, at this day at that age and to compete at the top level you've got to have the star players but they've got to be playing in a coherent system where there is a structure Good point Excellent point uh, Do you think that the European and English football is um, making good progress back to normality of um, people in the stadium, football as it should be, et cetera, et cetera, like post-COVID and opening up and all that kind of thing? Oh, well, definitely that and towards people in stadiums, absolutely. But in terms of football as it should be, I think we're probably, in my opinion of what football should be, we're, we're getting further and further away from that by the day. Um, and the European Super League tried to sort of shatter that to pieces and then it got sort of phased away gently but I feel that that's going to be coming back uh, much stronger very soon especially given um, Saudi Arabia's buyout of Newcastle United um, you can see Real and Bayern looking at the, the footballing landscape and slowly seeing themselves disappearing bit by bit um, away from the English clubs with ludicrously larger amounts of, of TV money but also um, I mean limitless state backing from from certain um, dictatorships and that will you know so that will slowly make them cease to be the, the, the key players in the game and the European Super League is slowly becoming to look like it already exists and that's the English Premier League okay. yeah that's interesting yeah 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 I haven't heard it from that point of view it's uh, can can you elaborate on that uh, the fact are you are you actually saying that the, the Spanish sort of Influence is not as strong as it used to be? Well, I mean, sort of, yeah. I mean, it's basically, if you look at the way TV rights are distributed, and back in the, um, previously, Real Madrid and Barcelona have been able to negotiate their own TV rights um, by themselves, and that has obviously led to just massive distortions within the Spanish Super League, yeah. or Spanish La Liga, rather, yeah. um, whereas English Premier Leagues have always kind of had, we distribute it into 20 even pots, and that goes out to every club. And so, and that's created a much even, or much more even, shall I say, competition. Um, and so La Liga went that way a few years ago, and they started doing that themselves. So that's why there's been a bit of a redressing of the balance. Yeah. But, I mean, Barcelona have been um, in, they're in 1.3 billion euros of debt, and they're trying to get into another 1.5 billion euros, or an additional 1.5 to build a stadium, or upgrade a stadium. And Real Madrid are slowly starting to see that the socio um, funding model, where the whole club is owned by supporters, just can't deal with a literal state backing a club where Newcastle, okay, they've got FFP rules, but I mean, Man City have shown how stringent those FFP rules are going to be. Um, and even if you just look at the, I mean, I know COVID has had a large impact on that, but in the last summer, the English Premier League spent more money in the transfer window than the next five leagues combined. And so that uh, level is starting to distort on the playing field. And the fact that you can get clubs like Aston Villa buying players from the second best team in, in the Bundesliga and you get clubs like now Newcastle who are going to be poaching players off. You know, you could, you could see Coutinho, for example, who's um, going to go into a Newcastle. That would not be beyond the realms of, of possibility. And so when you have this many clubs in the English Premier League starting to slowly... Uh, yeah, have that backing. You know, how long is it before someone like Brighton gets bought out by, I don't know, another, <laughs> another oil, oil rich state in, in the region? You know, probably not Yemen because they're currently in a civil war funded by the Saudis, but, um, you know, an, another region. So you can see that happening again. You, can, you know, you could see some more Chinese money maybe 
flowing into um, they already own Aston Villa um, and the Wolves. So how much there, there before is, things? Mm. Oh, so hmm? Some of the European clubs as well are, are starting to look that way as well because they've they've seen the running well. I, I know that I think the same group that's bought out Newcastle. A couple of the Italian clubs, perhaps Inter Milan, were, were kind of battering their eyelids at them as well uh, because their Chinese current Chinese funding has, has drawn dried up a bit. So you're you're right. There's no doubt about it that they are becoming the new super clubs. Anyone who's linked to a, a petro state, for want of a better word, and so it's difficult to know where it'll be in five or six years. Hopefully, there's enough sensible people around, people like Jurgen Klopp, who you know will speak up, even though he he's part of a league that's becoming stronger and stronger. That that he understands it's not right. Or is it possible that maybe FIFA should set some ground rules and have an even yeah. playing field? No, once you said could FIFA, I've, I've switched off. Sorry, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the answer's probably no, unfortunately. Especially given yeah, I think FIFA have sold themselves to as much the highest bidder a long time ago. But even the Premier League, you know, part of the, the, the problem to buy Newcastle was they didn't want the Saudi government controlling Newcastle. And they've apparently had legal assurances that, that, that Mohammed bin Salman is not the owner of Newcastle, even though... It's owned by a, a public investment fund, which, I mean, it's a sovereign wealth fund that's owned by the government. The guy who is on in the government and owns the Saudi Arabian state-owned oil oil company um, owns Newcastle, Newcastle United. So um, they've either willfully misinterpreted what a public investment fund is or just gone, I don't care. Um, and just and let the purchase happen. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt that there's a, there's a real feeling of unease um, at the moment within England as well, as, as well as a lot of those other leagues, as you've highlighted. Uh, it's, it's, it's troubling for a lot of people, especially supporters of those clubs who are not going to ever be one of the big six or the big eight um, and have enjoyed being part of the, the big leagues for so long. And yeah, it's, it's certainly a worry now. Mm. I think it's also for supporters of those clubs. You know, I mean, I grew up... As I grew up a Man City fan, and um, a few years ago, I just got tired of being able to square the ethical circle of my club being owned by a yeah a, a dictatorship that uh, suppresses women's rights and and phones people and and tortures people for being gay. You know, I, I couldn't continue to, to square that circle, and so I, I you know I've accepted that Man City is now no longer a football club and is no longer the football club I support um, because I, that, it's not a football club anymore. It's a it's a soft power vehicle for dictatorship, and that's now. Uh, a battle that a lot of Newcastle fans are going to have to try and have internally. Uh, Derek, we're going to have to let you go. Thank you very much <laughs> for your time. Uh, appreciate all your opinions. There's some pretty strong ones in there too, Absolutely, young man. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> appreciate them all. And we'll have a chat to you next time and you go out and enjoy that lovely weekend of whatever it brings in this weather for you. Uh, brilliant. Thanks, Eddie. Good on you, Derek. See Thank ya. You. Bye. Wow. Uh, we didn't talk Scottish football, no, no, but your parting okay. comments are going to be? Oh, d- d- <laughs> <laughs> just the, the fact that uh, Scotland have come back into the ranks of, uh, oh, they're playing a reasonable brand of football and they've got a Under Ange, decent players. Or just the national <clears> team. <throat> well, uh, uh, Ange being with Celtic. Uh, but also, uh, Lyndon Dykes, did you know he's an Australian? We did. Yeah. We did. Lyndon Dykes used to play up and. Played for Red Redlands. Every time, yeah, up in the Gold Coast. I think every time he misses a penalty, we're glad he's with Scotland. But then he, every time he scores, we think, well, that could be the striker we need. So yeah. he's going great guns. Yeah. So he's Queensland Rangers. Yeah. And then, and the other Scottish link was uh, Boyle in the Socceroos team. Yeah. Oh my God, he's a legend. Yeah. yeah. Love him to bits. Doing well, and the big centre half as well. The guys with six foot 
Uh, Harry. So Harry, I think Su- Harry's, Harry, Harry Sudar's brother plays yeah. for Scotland. I think. Yeah, he, he, um, and we got one, and they got <laughs> they got one. So Scotland, Scotland, Australia, <laughs> special relationship at the moment. I think Absolutely, no, no yeah. Yeah. linking well together. Boys, we're going to finish up the uh, jazz program. Is next with uh, Lennon Bags Groove. Vince, Dave, thanks very much for joining us. It's been yeah. great. Good thanks conversation. You can both you. come back. Yeah. A lot of interesting stuff, even though the league's the, the, the season's finished. Go, yeah. out, go out to the park and kick a ball in the sunshine that, with, that's with the it. kids. Enjoy yeah. being outside. Enjoy the football wherever it is. This is Pan, Dave and Vince signing off. And new team in next week talking more football from 10 o'clock. See you later. Okay.